This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Twilight Show on Sunday evening. Uh, just gearing up for the holidays. Hope you're having a great time so far. Join me this evening to uh, discuss plans over the holidays and also a great interview with Pete Chung, Associate Lecturer at Sheffield Hallam. It's going to be a good one. Please get involved. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining me this evening. Hopefully, you've already enjoyed a few days of the holiday so far. I know we broke up on Thursday, so Friday was a great day for me. Had a great time. Um, just nice not to have to do anything, not to have to be anywhere, isn't it? Um, I hope uh, the sound this evening is better. We've done a lot of experimenting over the last few days, and hopefully we've cracked it. So, um, yeah, great. Hopefully you are hearing us loud and clear from Cumbria. Dark as it might be, we've had a lot of fog at the moment. I don't know about anybody else, but it's been really strange. We're not, you don't usually get a lot of fog here. But um, apart from that, it's been lovely weather. Great start to the holidays. Been out and about a lot, walking the dogs and enjoying the summer, uh, sorry, winter sunshine. Um, but I think it's just any, any day is a good day when you're on holiday, isn't it? So uh, what are you guys doing? What have you been doing the first few days of your holiday? Have, has everybody broken up? I'm hearing a few stories of people who haven't broken up yet. So um, hopefully you won't be too much longer in school. So what's been going on this week? Um, well, I think anyone who's been on Twitter is going to have seen a lot about Pengate. Um, I didn't get involved with it myself, but it's amazing what um, the kind of feet, uh, the, the sort of subjects that gets people riled up. So yeah, Pengate on Twitter. Um, do you give your students a pen if they've forgotten one, or does your school insist on, um, uh, in, you know, giving sanctions for forgotten pens? I know we do. Um, we have sanctions in place for lack of equipment. But to be perfectly honest, me personally. I've got a stash of pens in my drawer. You know, I know it's not ideal to constantly be giving out pens for free. Um, we've got a policy where if students have a lack of equipment, they can go to their head of year and they can pay, you know, 10 pence or 15 pence or whatever it might be. And they can get pens and rulers. We use green pens for self-assessment. Um, so equipment should be a pen to write with, a ruler, a green pen to do their self-assessment or, or peer assessment, whatever it might be. Um, they should also have glue sticks and those, those are the equipment. So they are readily available. And of course, every teacher knows that you always have a stash of glue sticks and if, if at all possible, if they are available. Um, I keep a stash in my desk, you know, for anyone who's forgotten them. I'm of the opinion that I don't really think it's that big of a deal to offer sanctions for students who've forgotten their equipment, but I suppose every every case has to be considered for its individual merits. If it's a student who continually seems to forget their pen, then of course it has to end somewhere, doesn't it? Um, but I say to my tutor group in the morning, you know, I'd rather you just asked me for a piece of equipment and I will lend you something. I do expect it back though. That's That's the deal. 
um, they have to give it to me back at the at the following morning. They are expected to sort themselves out with equipment, but I am quite reluctant to offer behavior points or even detentions for forgotten equipment. Although one of my pet peeves has to be those students who will sit in class and pull their pen apart just to put it back together again and then they'll do it again and at some point over the course of the lesson they'll then say oh miss my pen's broken or my pen has exploded and you think oh it happened all on its own did it so yeah that's a bit of a pet peeve if I catch people doing that um I do get a little bit miffed and I will tell them so but um yeah so there's always something going on twitter never a dull moment there's also the talk of a potentially delayed return in January and even a return to online learning. Now, this idea fills me with dread. I didn't do um, very much online learning because obviously last year I was training, but the idea of doing that for the foreseeable future when we return in January, oh, I, I, I would hate it. I really didn't enjoy it. It was just so incredibly difficult and you lose so much engagement with the students when you have to do it through a computer screen. Um, we're already having a bit of a delayed return. So we go in for our inset day on the 4th of January, but then the students are being tested on, so that's the Tuesday we go back and then the students are being tested on the Wednesday, Thursday and Friday of that week. So with the exception of the higher years, um, year 10, 11, 12 and 13, subject to their getting a negative test, they will be returning on the Friday. But the key stage three students won't be coming back in until the Monday. So they, lucky things, actually essentially get an extra week off, um, which I understand the reasonings behind it. Um, it is actually quite nice knowing that we're going to go in and have a few days just to get organized um, and get plans together and things, because I know we're starting on a few new schemes of work in January. So it'll be nice to have that department time, hopefully, just to do a bit of, um, you know, community CPD and getting ready for the school year before we've actually got to face the students but I'm not teaching year 11 or sixth form at the moment so I have one lesson on the Friday and that will be it until the Monday for me so it'll be a nice easy um, you know smooth return to school hopefully but again hope I'm just hoping against hope at the moment that we will be coming back to proper teaching and uh, face-to-face teaching in the new year but we can only wait and see what happens can't we can't um, take bets on anything at the moment um as i did last week i did a shout out to my fellow hosts who had some fantastic shows and i haven't done been able to do as much listening this week with the end of term madness um catching up but i was listening um, as I was doing a display in my room on on Thursday, actually, at the end of term, to Nathan Ginn's show on um, catching up on his show that was on Wednesday in the on the Twilight Show, and he had Adele Bates on talking about behaviour management. What a fascinating lady! She is just bubbling with positivity and um, obviously really passionate about what she does and so knowledgeable and just such a great background as well, how she got into teaching and, and the challenges that she's faced along the way. I definitely recommend giving her a listen um, and she's got a book out as well, which I will definitely be putting that on my wish list. Um, that's going on my Amazon wish list over, over the holidays as well. So um, yeah, give that a listen. And there's been a, a whole ton of fantastic shows this week as well so uh please give it uh, make sure 
make sure you catch up you can listen on podbean of course but you can also catch up on spotify listen to the shows we've had some fantastic guests as always um and i'm hoping you're really going to enjoy the guests that i've got on this evening today so we're going to get straight into that i'm going to play our news and adverts early because i'm anticipating a long conversation with our guests this evening um, we have Pete Chung from the University of Sheffield, Associate Lecturer, and he's had such a fantastically um, varied career within teaching as a, both a teacher himself, but also as a teacher trainer. And we're talking about the changes that have gone on recently uh, to, to teacher training and how he thinks that's going to work out in the future calling on his vast experience over uh, a long career in teaching, as I say. But also, we're asking, I ask him the question, I'm going to ask, be asking him the question of, are teachers born or are they made? So we were having this similar conversation with Miss T's, NQT's, last week, talking about this idea of mentors having certain skills and certain abilities that make them really great mentors. But mentors have to also be trained in order to to effectively fulfill their role and also uh, meet the criteria of the new training frameworks. So we're asking the same question of teachers. Do you have to have certain skills and abilities to be a really good teacher or is it all about the training and is it all about the support from your school and your mentor? So we're going to be going into that this evening. So as I say, I'm going to get the adverts on now and the news update as well so that we can jump straight into that interview and enjoy listening to everything Pete has to say. So uh, bear with me. We're just going to play that now and we'll see you in a short while. Don't forget you can text or call in this evening on Podbean or you can tweet me at queen underscore kale 19 using the hashtag TT Radio 21. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Colin's Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources, specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. should be talked about more often to remove stigma, the Council for Curriculum, Examinations and Assessment in Northern Ireland has found. A three-year pilot scheme to provide free period products in school has been set up by the Department for Education. Prior to the new department scheme, charity organisations such as the Red Box Project provided products to individual schools. According to the CCEA, many issues relating to period dignity have been exacerbated by lockdowns 
particularly the issue of period poverty. More than 25% of pupils who responded to a survey said they had difficulty getting period products, and over 50% of respondents also said they were embarrassed when buying products. It is this statistic that has led to the suggestion that periods should be talked about more openly to reduce the stigma. According to a report in The Independent, the former top Department of Education civil servant received a payout of nearly £278,000 to leave his post following the August 2020 exam process. Jonathan Slater was removed as permanent secretary with only months left in his £165,000 a year role, after, according to the paper, Boris Johnson demanded fresh leadership. Now official documents have revealed he received the £270,000 payout for a loss of office. In August 2020, the DfE had come under fire for its system for working out exam grades, which initially relied on a now infamous algorithm, after exams were cancelled due to the pandemic. A lack of up-to-date textbooks is forcing teachers to source their own materials, according to reports from Africa Education Watch in Ghana. Two years after the introduction of a new curriculum, teachers are struggling to effectively implement it due to a lack of resources. Ghanaian Education Minister Dr Adwutwam admitted that the lack of textbooks was an issue, but assured Parliament that the problem was being dealt with. Africa Education Watch pointed out that those in charge of curriculum change should have waited for everything to be put in place before launching the new curriculum. In the meantime, teachers will continue to source their own materials whilst the situation is resolved. Finally, the local government website reports that school leaders are welcoming the government's confirmation of £4 billion worth of funding, but highlight that it falls well short of what is needed to make up for past cuts. The funding is due next year and includes an extra £1 billion for pupils with SEND. The funding can be used to meet a wide range of operational costs. Jeff Barton from the Askell Union stated that funding was welcome and described it as a shot in the arm, but stated that the current government has presided over cuts to education which are without precedent in post-war UK history. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. This week we're going to look at one of the simplest, freely available yet least used browser technologies, the Reader View. Chrome versus Edge, let the battle commence! On screen one, I have Microsoft Edge weighing in at the cost of zero pounds. On screen two, I have Google Chrome also weighing in at the cost of zero pounds. Round one, opening reader view. On the Edge browser, the immersive reader feature is built in and can be activated by a button on the address bar, by typing read followed by a colon in front of a URL, and also you can simply press F9. Before you can open reader view in Chrome, you have to install it as an extension. It's free and not difficult. Once installed, you'll find it in extensions located to the right of the address bar. One point to Immersive Reader. Round two, features. Both come out fighting with the read aloud feature that allows the user to adjust the read speed, skip forward and back, and change the voice that is reading. They both also highlight the word being read. Chrome Reader has a volume control, which is a nice touch if not using headphones. One point, Chrome Reader. Round three, readability. A big feature for reader views is the ability to change the formatting to suit the user. Both allow easy changing of font size, font and text width on the screen, but they differ in background colour features. Here is where Immersive Reader offers quite a bit more. Chrome Reader offers eight background slash contrast colours, four light and four dark, 
Immersive Reader provides 23 background options, green, pink, yellow and blue included, allowing pupils with visual needs to find a comfortable colour. One point, Immersive Reader. Round four, editing. Chrome Reader features a design mode. This allows you to highlight text and make changes. Quite useful if wanting to pick out key points to return to. Immersive Reader does not have this feature. One point Chrome Reader. Round five, extra features. Immersive Reader has a grammar feature, allowing words to be split into syllables. You can highlight nouns, verbs, adjectives, and adverbs by flicking switches. This feature is not offered on Chrome Reader. One point Immersive Reader. Immersive Reader also offers reading preferences, featuring line focus of five, three, or one line, blocking out the rest of the page. There's a picture dictionary, allowing some words to change the pointer to a magic wand that reveals a picture depicting it. Also, there's a translation feature allowing partial or full translation of a page into 88 different languages at the click of a button. Chrome Reader does not offer these features, however, other free products such as Google Translate could be used. Immersive Reader takes the point because you don't need to leave the page. Final score! Winning with 4 points to 2 after a blistering final round is Microsoft Immersive Reader, but let's face it, most people don't know these things exist. If you were one of them, please do something about it. See if these features are installed in your school, and if not, request they are. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2021 Twitter feed. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. So this evening I'm joined by Pete Chung, who is Associate Lecturer at... Sheffield Hallam University and Pete was actually um, very much involved in my own teacher training so I'm really excited to have him on the show this evening. So over to you Pete, just hello, thank you for joining us on Teachers Talk Radio. So Kaylee, thank you very much for having me, uh, it's it's a real pleasure to be here. So it might, if I perhaps said a little bit about just kind of my backstory a little bit about who I am for your listeners absolutely please fire away so like many teachers um I was a career changer I, I know you were too Kaylee mm-hmm. uh, so before teaching I worked in the civil service um so I was in my early 30s when I began my NQT year uh, and I was a primary teacher and subsequently um, a deputy head until 2001, when I moved from the classroom into teacher education. So um, I then left my full-time principal lecturer role at the University of Cumbria a few years ago. Uh, since then, I've worked part-time for Sheffield Hallam University. And, oh, I, I should say at the outset, actually, although I work for Sheffield Hallam, most of the views I'm going to express in this interview are my own rather than those of the institution. Very good. Thank you for doing that. That shows uh, much more professionalism than, than I've practiced just at the moment. So, yes, thank you very much for mentioning that. Yeah, yeah thank you. Carry on. Um, so I regarded myself as, as, as semi-retired for several years now, Kaylee. Uh, and after Christmas, I'm, I'm going to retire fully. Um, and inevitably, I think that means I've spent quite a bit of time recently looking back over my career, um, such as it is, was, uh, and reflecting on ways in which the world of education, and, and that's the world of education both in schools and in teacher education, mm-hmm. changed since the 1980s when I began my teaching journey. Um, 
My, my first day in school as a student teacher was in an infant school in Barrow and Furness. And uh, I'm embarrassed to tell you, Kaylee, it didn't start well. <laughs> Go on, tell us. I, I missed the school placement bus. <laughs> and I had to drive to the school arriving late. Oh. So not really the impression I was hoping to make. I, I'd been expecting to be dropped off by the bus, so I only had a rough idea of where the school actually was. Oh, now, remember, wow. long before Google Maps existed, <laughs> and I still recall the feelings of, of rising panic as I desperately tried to locate the school in the back streets of Barrow. Thankfully, I eventually found it, uh, and apologising profusely for my late arrival, things Things did get a little bit better after this decidedly dodgy start. <laughs> I suppose if it can only go up from there at that point, can't it? Well, absolutely. Uh, so, so that was day one. Um, and I did a quick calculation um, before, before we talked today. And roughly 7,000 teaching days later, I can't quite believe it's 7,000, but roughly 7,000 teaching days later, recently I did my last full day of teaching with a great cohort of student teachers here in Cumbria. Um, and they're all at the beginning of their careers. They're all eager and idealistic. Uh, of course, that's exactly how it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, these days, if, well, if I'm honest, I'm a, a little less eager than I once was. Age <laughs> that to you. Uh, but I, I don't think I'm any less idealistic. Um, I still believe passionately um, in, in the power, the potential of education to transform the world. Um, and I think, I think most of my friends would say I'm incurably optimistic. Um, but, but I really hope my students can all retain their youthful enthusiasm. Mm. Um, you know, over the years, I've seen too many friends and colleagues lose some of their ideals and enthusiasm, and, and that does sadden me. Yeah, I can imagine. I, and and one of the things we're going to come on to talk about this evening is obviously the the way education is, is going or has gone over recent years and get your feedback on that from someone who's got so much experience um, for, for both sides, both from the a teaching point of view and training teachers point of view. Um, but yeah, that that is why most people join the profession isn't it because they've either got a passion for working with young people or a passion for their subject and it must be it must be very sad for the individual as well to feel that circumstances have knocked that out of them Um, so what do you think we can do about that is there anything we can do well um as I say, I, I, I really hope the students that I've been teaching can retain their, their enthusiasm. And I do think it, it's incumbent upon us all as teachers. And actually, Kayleigh, this relates to a conversation we were having before this interview. Yeah. I, I think it's incumbent upon us all to avoid undue negativity. Mm. Because there are lots of positive things to be said about schools and about teaching and 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 I think I, I, I think as teachers we sh- we should be advocates for um, for, for that. Um, you know, the, 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 there've been changes. You know, the schools my students have been working in over the last few weeks. 
they're very different places from that infant school in Barrow where my teaching journey began. Mm. And many of the changes that have taken place in schools and in teacher education have been really positive ones. And I think we should celebrate those. Yeah. Though, I, if I'm honest, I'm, I'm not sure that all of the changes have been positive. And maybe we'll talk about some of those as well. Oh, I, I can imagine it's inevitable. Yes. Um, so, so how have you retained the relentless optimism? I mean, it's, it's an excellent accusation to have thrown at you, I must say, <laughs> to be relentlessly optimistic. So how, how do you think you've held on to that over, over such a long career? I, 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 th- I think I've been very lucky. I think one of the things that, 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 that I'd pick out is, is, is in moving into teacher education, Moving into teacher education from working in schools, what, what's happened is, 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 is that I work with groups of teachers at the beginning of their career. And every year there's a new group of teachers at the beginning of their career. And, and I, I think I've, I've, I've deliberately tried to absorb some of their enthusiasm. And it reminded me of what I was like you know, back at the beginning of my career. So, 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 so I had the benefit of being renewed, but, but, but I also think there's, there's something that, uh, that, that uh, uh, it, it teachers can kind of take from that and something that I think perhaps I did when I was still a primary school teacher. Um, you, you know, the best laid plans, they, you, you know, so you have wonderful kind of ideas about what you're going to achieve over this kind of next year with 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 your class and and things maybe don't always work out quite as well as you hope but you always get the opportunity come the next september to start again just to kind of start afresh and to do and and to do it better Uh, and, and i think kind of looking at it from that point of view that's one of the things that's kind of helped me stay positive that's actually a really great piece of advice. It's almost like you get a new, another chance at another bite of the apple every yeah, every year. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's it's complimentary to hear you say that the the likes of myself last year were keeping you young. <laughs> so, no, so what you're saying no, is absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so what you're saying is because we're so naive and shiny and new, and we don't know any better. <laughs> Well, so, so, so two of your three adjectives i'd agree with <laughs> and you we'll, we'll we'll leave the naive one out yeah there. i know i know so as as a as a fellow career changer then obviously me at the very beginning of my teaching career and, and you very nearly at the end of it um what pers- what perspective do you think that granted you coming into teaching um having having seen the outside world, the, co- the probably, probably, possibly, you were still, you were still very much public sector, obviously, because you said you were in the yeah. civil service. Um, so there would be some similarities, I would imagine. Yeah. But um, yeah. do you think that's actually? How, how would you recommend the the two options? Do you think it's advisable to come straight out to university, or do you actually think that most people who have been career changers, you know, that might be a more successful? I, career do you think it impacts it i actually don't think there's a right answer to that kelly so so i i've i've seen plenty of brilliant teachers who came straight from school because at the age of 18 they knew what they wanted to do mm. yet I've, I've 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 worked with teachers who have wanted to teach ever since they were in primary school uh, and if that's the case in a way well, why postpone it? You, you know, if you're 18, 
you know, um, start start your teaching journey early. But on the other hand, um, I've also worked with um, people who come from a wide range of different backgrounds. And I've always thought that they brought something distinctive to schools, something distinctive to the profession. So, so actually, I think we, 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 we need a mixture, a mixture of both things. Excellent. Yeah. In your experience, then, do you think teachers can be trained in the sense that, you know, once they've had the necessary training, um, of course, a lot of it comes with experience and, and we know that. But do you think teachers are made? Do you think there has you have to be a certain type of person to to succeed as a teacher? And I ask that just to give a bit of context. I ask that. Really, because, sorry, that's, we, a, that's a really a really, really good question. <laughs> I, I, um, so, I don't, I don't think teachers are born, not made. If that was the case, I don't think I would really value my role as a teacher educator because mm. maybe just do is go up there and and spot the natural teachers and 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 recruit them i think there are some people whose whose background their 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 childhood their their life experience gives them something which helps them become great teachers Mm. but i don't think you i i i I think you can learn to become a great teacher Mm. i i I'm honest, Kaylee. If I look back on myself as an NQT, I don't think I was a particularly good teacher. I I I, I can think of plenty of things from my NQT year that make me shudder when I think about it. <laughs> I don't think I was particularly good. It 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 took me several years hmm. to to kind of become better. By the time I left the primary classroom and moved into teacher ed, I, yeah, I think I was a reasonably good teacher, but it didn't. I, I wasn't at the outset. Mm. It, it it took time to develop, uh, and and I've certainly I've worked with with colleagues who I've seen become vastly better at at at, at what they do, uh, and I've worked with student teachers who struggle really struggle on their first placement, who are on the verge of leaving the course because they don't think they can ever do it mm. to become brilliant teachers. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose the one thing you've mentioned there that um, we're going to come on to talk to because one because obviously I know based on what you you taught me last year that it's a, a particular um, area of expertise for you is the idea of being reflective as a teacher and reflective pedagogy. So we'll come on to talk about that later. But you've mentioned mm-hmm. there, you know, if you go into the people go into it and within a year or two they're still they, they, they think that perhaps they've made a mistake perhaps they're not going to be the, te- the, the teacher that they thought they were going to be what advice would you give to those people because I imagine there's a lot of them out there right now who have just finished their first full term and are wondering if this is the career for them so what would you say to those people um I think it, in in general I would say absolutely stick with it um the, 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 w- one of the things which I think is significant is is, is context. So um, if, if I'm looking at a student teacher who's struggling for some reason, who's having a really hard time, 
perhaps who's even kind of failing in, in a placement context. I, I think the question is not necessarily what's wrong with this person, but why is this person struggling in this context? By context, I mean in this particular school, in this mm-hmm. particular classroom, in this particular school, with this particular mentor in this particular classroom, in this particular school. And people who often struggle in one context can blossom in, 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 in another one. Um, and, and, and at the end of kind of um, the, the initial um, um, teacher education part of, of the teaching journey, when, you, when you're looking for your first, your first paid um, teaching post, it it you, you you know you get interviewed so the school are looking and to say is this is this person the right person for us but it's vital i think that um that that, that um, people also ask is this the right school for me mm. is the school is this the environment in which i can flourish and become a great teacher is this an environment in which i'm going to get the support that um i i need and different people need different things yeah. so you know, you might go into a school and look around and think, "No, I don't actually want to teach here. This, this, this isn't this isn't the right fit for me." Mm. And and so, so for student teachers who are struggling, it's sometimes because, well, this placement is actually too challenging for you at this stage in your development. You go to work in a different class, or you go to work in a different school, and actually, thing and and th- th- things might be different. Mm. So. So you, trust yourself, trust the people who are um, tasked with supporting and mentoring you. And and um, the vast majority of people who struggle on make it. Yeah. And as I agree with everything you're saying, but it was it was one of the things I was actually chatting about last week um, on my show was the recruitment process for teaching does make that decision a very challenging one, because mm. when you go for a job, you are expected to accept that job. And, mm. and it's a daunting prospect that mm. you've almost got to turn down something without yeah. having something else lined up. Because yeah. if, if you're in the corporate sphere, yeah. you could have several different interviews and, it, and several different job offers, and it's perfectly yeah. acceptable to say, yeah. well, actually, yeah. I've got another interview lined I, up, so yeah. can I get back yeah. to you? <laughs> but yeah. in, yeah. in teaching, that's yeah. a big yeah. no-no. So it's mm. having that self-confidence, isn't it? to think mm. it's better that mm. I wait and mm. potentially not get something quite as quickly as I wanted than yeah. end up in the wrong setting that, that's going. Yeah. If I, if it, but then it raises the question of how do you know it's the wrong setting until, yeah. until you've had a go at it. But yeah, I, I, I think your advice is very sound and, and, and obviously not just student teachers, but new teachers, you know, in the first mm. year or two, mm. it's mm. going to take a while to settle in, isn't it? Right. So one of the themes that we've been talking about um, on my show over the last few weeks is the early career framework and specifically how early career teachers are finding their feet in their career as as educators. So what would be your professional critique on the recent changes to both teacher training and um, that the ECT, the ECF framework, sorry, once qualified teachers make it into a school for the first time? Well, I'm a big supporter of the 
early career framework. Um, I think it's it, it's been a really positive development. Um, my, my ultimate boss uh, at Sheffield Hallam is Professor Sam Twistleton, who's director of the Sheffield Institute of Education. And actually, Sam isn't just my boss and, and a colleague. Sam is a very good friend. Uh, and, and, and Sam and I actually taught together. We, 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 we taught two parallel uh, year group classes in a primary school in Windermere a, a, a very long time ago. Uh, and Sam was hugely influential in developing the early career framework. Um, and, and I think she and, and others have actually done a really, really good job. There's, there's a recognition that um, it takes longer to produce a great teacher than just the one year of the PGCE. Um, and for the first time now, we, we've got in place a, a programme of, of, of support that extends beyond the kind of previous NQT year. Um, and, um, and, and, and particularly the introduction of, 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 of a very significantly enhanced mentoring framework. I think, which supports the uh, uh, which supports the ECF, but um, the the early career framework is is kind of one part of the of, of recent changes in 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 in, in teacher education, and and it, and it, it it it's the it's the part that I'm broadly positive about. Um, there are some other changes that I'm, I'm, I'm less positive about. So I'm sure most, or at least some of your listeners, will have heard of the ITT market review. So, so a set of proposals published earlier this year by the DFE, which, which could radically reconfigure the teacher education landscape. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's fair to say that the market review was greeted with dismay by pretty much the whole ITE sector. So so very significant concerns expressed about academic freedom, teacher supply, school and university budgets, educator workload. Um, Interestingly, both Oxford and Cambridge University's education departments have threatened to withdraw from initial teacher education if the recommendations go ahead. Yeah, I remember that being quite high profile at the time. Sure. And, and one of the consequences of the proposals may be that the role universities such as Sheffield Hallam play may change. Um, again, if it, kind of stepping back and kind of taking the long view here, one of the biggest shifts that's taken place in teacher education since the 1980s has been a trend towards, towards schools and away from universities as the place where teachers are educated. So starting with the introduction of the first school-centred initial teacher training, the SKIT schemes in the early 1990s, and then the introduction of School Direct when Michael Gove was Education Secretary, mm-hmm. the, 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 the government's increasingly pushed for what it would call teacher training to happen in schools. And I think some would see the ITT market review as the latest in a series of attempts by the DfE to limit the role of universities. So I'm I'm going to do a little bit of defending of universities here, Kayleigh. So if we look at the situation internationally, 
The highest performing education systems around the world all involve universities playing a key role in teacher education. So in England, universities are involved in around 80% of the new teachers each year. And the evidence suggests universities do a good job. So between 2018 and 2020, all the institutions that offer ITE were rated either good or outstanding by Ofsted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, um, I'm, I'm, I'm dubious about many of Ofsted's judgments, so I wouldn't want to rely on those alone. Mm-hmm. But polling by TES Global provides um, support. So they found around three quarters of new teachers rated their training as either excellent or good. Yeah. So the the old cliche says, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm -hmm. Despite the evidence suggesting that ITE is actually in pretty good shape, the DFE is still planning to go ahead. Uh, um, And and there's a long-standing tussle, you know, in the world that I work in between two competing visions of what it means to become an effective teacher. So, So that tussle is summed up in two alternative sets of terminology. On the one hand, there's teacher training and Mm -hmm. trainees, and on the other, teacher education and student teachers. And the the attentive listeners will have noticed that I've been using the second of, of those. So that's one of the things that shifted over the last few decades, by the way, because when I began teaching, it was usual to speak of students and more recently, trainees has become the norm. And, and the DFE definitely prefers to talk about ITT. Mm-hmm. Own preferences, I say, is for ITE. Now, there are, there are many things that I'm not very good at. <laughs> so, for example, I'm not very good at juggling. Actually, that's an understatement. I'm, I'm abysmal. But I've tried and I just can't seem to get it. But I think I could be trained to become a better juggler. I've got a very good friend who's a professional juggler. Okay, he runs a straight theatre company. I'm sure if I asked him, he could train me to be better because juggling is essentially a practical skill, rather challenging and difficult one. It feels, but essentially it's a practical skill. It doesn't require much in terms of theoretical underpinning. But teaching isn't like that. Good teachers display mastery of a wide range of skills. True. But knowing how and when to apply those skills, well, that's informed by a range of understandings, which are in turn informed by theory. Mm. So I'd argue teachers can't simply be trained like performing seals. They, they need to be educated. They need theory. And, and I'd argue universities do a very good job overall of equipping student teachers with that theory. That's a really interesting analogy is now I'll be honest, I haven't hadn't really thought of it in that way. Um, you know, to make that distinction between training and education, that sounds like a very important distinction to make. Um, you know, I think it's essential. Yeah, it's, it's not just and, and I think that comes back to what we were talking about earlier in the idea that you can come into teaching with the raw skills 
um, tacit skills that will make you a good teacher. You know, are you are you a good listener? Can you communicate mm. well? Can you mm. present well? Do you have a mm. good presence in the classroom? Mm. All of those mm. things. You can train someone to be better at those things, but mm. it's the education that teaches you what strategy to use depending upon the class that's sat in front of you. That's not so yeah, and, and that's thinking about it, that's not really something you can be trained to do. You have to learn how to respond. Exactly. Appropriately. You're not gonna and, and I think mm-hmm. that's the, the big shift between your mm-hmm. training year and mm-hmm. your ECT year, the first mm-hmm. year, mm-hmm. is that, that when you're in your training, you've got someone there who can afterwards say, well maybe that didn't work quite so well. Why don't you try this? Mm-hmm. But once you get into your ECT, there's nobody mm-hmm. there. <laughs> and yeah. if and if it's not working, there mm-hmm. isn't always somebody who you can even go to to say, mm-hmm. what do I yeah. do? Because they, yeah. they're not privy to the information that you've got to hand. Mm-hmm. So that's fantastic. Yeah. That, that's really, really interesting to think of it that way. Um, so just briefly then, if we can, because um, I'm just aware, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, how has Sheffield Hallam responded? Because um, we were saying before, Oxbridge had a very, were, were quite vehemently opposed initially um, to the point where they said, well, we'll just stop teacher training if, if, if we, you know, because we're not quite comfortable with this. Um, so how has Sheffield Hallam responded? Well, like, like, like most IT providers, Hallam submitted a formal response to the market review proposals. Uh, and the university's supportive of some aspects, so intensive practice placements, for example. Um, but the university also identified potential problems, um, such as capacity and funding challenges for the mentoring proposals. And, and for some schools, recruitment of ECF mentors has reduced the capacity for ITE mentoring. Um, and the university was also critical of the evidence base for the proposals, which it sees as too narrow mm-hmm. and, and, and also identified some areas which are missing from the proposals. For example, uh, training in supporting mental health of children and, and young people. That, that's not in the proposals and, 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 and it, it's, it's in, increasingly important, I think. Now, it's true the DfE has, to some extent, listened to the concerns expressed by Sheffield Hallam and within the sector more widely. So, for example, it's moved to amend or provide funding for some of the requirements, um, such as the enhanced mentoring. Mm -hmm. But it's not made changes to what's arguably the most contentious part of the proposals, that all providers have to... uh, undergo a reaccreditation process. So and, unless they go through this reaccreditation process, ITE providers will no longer be accredited to provide um, um, uh, uh, education. So why is that? Why, why the need to do that if they've been doing it perfectly, adequately for so long? So that's a great question, Kaylee, and I, I, I recommend asking that question. <laughs> oh, one of those. Uh, education, yeah. because... Um, I, I certainly can't explain why why it's necessary for providers to go through the, the reaccreditation process. And, it, you know, it, it's got particular risks for smaller providers, including some outstanding skits. Uh, and, and, and it risks reigniting 
damaging competition between providers, instead of encouraging collaboration between providers, which is, I think, what, what we should be doing. And, and the, the, the time scale for the reaccreditation process is, is frankly ridiculous. So, you know, schools and universities have just faced, I don't need to tell you, an unbelievably challenging period because of COVID. And, you know, it isn't, it isn't over yet, is it? And so the workload pressures have been immense, but, but the reaccreditation process just makes that worse. Mm. So it's expensive, it's bureaucratic, it's an unnecessary process, and the timescale is really challenging, particularly for small providers. Yeah, and as you say, that's possibly one of the biggest criticisms of mm. these changes is the fact that they do seem to have happened, figuratively speaking, overnight. You know, yeah. at the end of term last July, yeah, everyone was an NQ2, NQT or an RCT, yeah. um, and you went through um, a, a skit or school direct or university-based mm. training. And mm. by the September, suddenly there was an ECF framework, everybody was ECT, and mm. we need this small army of mentors to support all of mm. this. And of course, then the schools mm. need to mm. readjust the way they do it. Um, mm. I'm actually going to be talking to the um, chief executive of Teach First in the new year okay. to, to talk about the, the ECF framework and how they are implementing it and designing it and obviously rolling it out in, in the schools that they're dealing with. Um, and, and that's what, you know, they, they seem to be quite open to responses from school. Um, the gentleman who I'm actually interviewing, Reuben, was, uh, came to, to visit us in school to talk to us. Okay about yeah. our experience of it and we were you know we were able to give very open and honest feedback but but that seems to be the single biggest thing that's coming out is if the schools weren't in a position where they could just hit the ground running they found it incredibly difficult and especially the workload on top of the famously heavy teacher workload so it, it's been difficult can I just go back to what you said earlier then about the this narrow evidence base yeah. It, because one of what it's it's almost like a buzz a buzz phrase at the moment, isn't it? This evidence based teaching, and there's a lot mm. of CPD mm. popping up around it. Mm. Um, and and I remember one of the things that Ofsted said about my teacher training provider, and obviously the one you were very closely involved with, is that there were concerns that the training wasn't based enough on evidence and theory mm, so mm. tell us a little bit more about that what what does that actually mean and why are we worried about well, it um so one of the things that's in the itt market review re- report is, is is the idea that all providers should develop what, what they call an evidence-based training curriculum uh, and that's linked to um something called the core content framework which um, it, it, it would be wrong to describe it as a national curriculum for teacher education, but, 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 but uh, there, are, there are parallels. Um, now, I'm strongly supportive of the moves towards making teaching better informed by research and more evidence-based, but what constitutes relevant research and what a really secure evidence base looks like, well, that's far from being universally agreed. Um, So, as I say, I'm strongly in favour of teachers becoming more more aware of educational research, more skilled in interpreting it, 
Historically, that's not been something which most teachers saw as important, unlike medical professionals, for example. Mm. Um, and the processes for disseminating new research insights, implementing changes based on those. Well, in, in the medical world, those processes are clear, they're well established and they're relatively fast. But that's absolutely not the case in education. For, for, for many of us, our theoretical understanding was established in our initial training and it hasn't undergone a major revision since then. Um, and, and sometimes teachers or, or policy makers base decisions on, on poor quality research. And, uh, um, I, you may remember, Kaylee, I've got a little bit of a bee in my bonnet about this, but learning styles is a prominent example. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, the claim made is that different people have different preferred ways of learning. For example, different modalities such as vision, hearing, kinesthetic approaches but unfortunately you know the research base for those theories is 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 absent or, or thin at best mm -hmm. it, if anybody's interested Daniel Willingham has got a really interesting 2018 paper about this but but despite that the, the, you know many schools continue to follow practices informed by dubious learning science research yeah. um, Unfortunately, it's true that some educational research is of poor quality. So it often suffers, for example, from small sample sizes. So studies of single classrooms are quite common. But, but I also see a growing, a growing tendency in some quarters to dismiss perfectly sound research because it doesn't fit a presumed ideal. Now, in medicine, the gold standard in research is the randomized control trial, the RCT. Mm. And RCTs are rare in educational research, although they are becoming more common. Um, but, but many educational questions don't lend themselves easily to the RCT approach. So if you want to evaluate a new medicine, um, you create two groups, allocate participants randomly to the groups, and you give one group the medicine a new vaccine, for example, uh, and one group a placebo. But interventions in education are typically more complex and it's much harder to isolate their impact because lots of other things are likely to be going on simultaneously for learners. Yeah. I'm, I'm really pleased. One of the things that we're seeing is a growing interest in research amongst teachers and school leaders and, and organisations like like Tom Bennett's research ed have definitely been influential, although I do have concerns about the way in which research ed, ed tends to promote research which fits a particular agenda. Um, but as I say, through the development of the core content framework and the early career framework, the DFE is exerting more and more control of the content of IT programs and the evidence base. Yeah. Now, I'm saying there shouldn't be any common elements across programs or that the government doesn't have a role in setting out what those might be. But I do think there needs to be flexibility and diversity. So the dangers of national frameworks uh, that you perhaps don't have the flexibility to respond to specific needs, including local needs. So, for example, here in Cumbria, there are large numbers of small rural primary schools and many of those schools have got mixed age classes 
So if you're a small skit serving the needs of those schools, you may, mel- you may want the flexibility to spend more time looking at differentiation in mixed age classes. Mm. And we also need diversity because, the, you know, the sum total of all that could or indeed should feature in, in initial teachers education is, is much greater than the time available. So there's a strong argument that a one-year PGCE is too short a time to adequately prepare um, new teachers. Um, It's the case that the quarter possible learning for a new teacher can't fit into the proverbial pint pot of the PGCE. Some things have got to be left out. And and I think there's strength in diversity. So some programmes include content that other programmes might leave out. So one benefit of that is if you've got a hypothetical group of three MQTs recruited by a school, they would have much wider knowledge if they come from different um, providers than three identical MQTs who've been through identical programs mm. and a rigid nat- national framework. Yeah, and and it's again, it's a very interesting argument that requires a lot of balance, isn't it? Because mm. I completely understand the rationale that behind the ECF, which is to make sure you've got a uniformity of training, which means that everybody has received the same quality of training um, Mm. and it's been uniformly rigorous um, for all teachers. But as you say, every school is not the same, even if you had a a school, two schools Mm. in the same Mm. county. I mean, just looking at Cumbria, we have got a lot of very good schools um, mm. Considering the number of the, the the population in our area, we've got a large number of schools, some very mm. big schools, mm. and essentially they're all delivering the national curriculum. But every mm. single one of them will be doing it in a slightly in different, different way. nuanced way, yeah. according to the demographic of their student body. Mm. And and mm. you do make a very good point: is that when you've got, especially, you know, you don't want to then get to the point where potentially you're going to have a uniformity of school. You know, you don't want to sort of, uh, you, you wouldn't want the, this this sort of to be the foundation where we think, well, if we're going to have all the teachers receiving the same training, then ultimately down the line, all the schools are going to be generic. And it, it doesn't matter which school you go, you'll get exactly the same experience because that would take away a lot of the mm. the, the the school experience, I think, mm. for, for students as well. And it prevents teachers doing what they do best, I think, which is, that that personal touch and the and the culture of the school can offer so much to students can't it outside of the classroom Mm. um and as you say that's probably not really being taken into account I mean this is all very new and I suppose that's that's the other thing to take into consideration is that it's it's new and um we don't know how it's going to develop over the years but it's a very interesting interesting questions are being raised from from the off so hopefully we'll see how that pans out um, I've been so carried away with with talking to you and having such a great conversation. I should probably say at this point that if anyone is listening who is uh, really interested in anything that's going on um, in the conversation, please text in, call in, get involved. Um, we'll do your best to, to answer as many um, questions after the interview. So you're listening to Teachers Talk Radio on the Sunday Night Twilight Show, and we've uh, got an interview with Pete Chung from University of uh, Sorry Sheffield Hallam University. 
but just taking a quick break for the moment we need to play the news again and the adverts of course so uh just to take a break to talk about some um text that we've got in uh we've got um miss saeed has texted in and said teachers need a mix of practical skills and theory too um which which was what's going to put them in in the best uh, position for their career going forward and also cg vowels has texted in and said if everyone in every school always had the same experience then the department for education will have done Ofsted out of a job well wouldn't that be a shame <laughs> okay, so uh, we're just going to take a break right now to uh, play the adverts in the news and then we will be back on with the rest of the interview with Pete. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, or join a free briefing by visiting littlewonderlettersandsounds.org.uk. Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources, specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org. So we're here with Pete Chung. Are you looking to take your phonics? So we're here with Pete Chung, who is uh, Associate Lecturer at Sheffield Hallam. And of course, we mentioned the word, so we need to go back and, and address it in a bit more detail. We talked about Ofsted slight, uh, a little bit earlier. Um, and one of the questions that I wanted to pose to you was, was I think it links really well with what we've just been talking about, is Ofsted have, have reached recently um, published some information, um, which, and I'm paraphrasing here, so, so uh, correct me if I'm getting this wrong, but they had a, a critique of initial teacher, teacher education curriculums being underpinned by outdated and discredited theories of education and, and saying this was one of the reasons why they were, they were changing things. So I know we've just touched on that briefly, um, talking about certain things that we, that we know not to be true um, or that are very loosely based on theory. So what's your comments on that, that recent offset feedback? So, so, you know, Kaylee, I've got to admit, I'm not exactly Ofsted's biggest fan. I'll, I'll lay my cards on the table. You're in, probably in, not alone. <laughs> but yeah. In, in my humble opinion, Ofsted isn't fit for purpose. It's not a constructive force. Its judgments are suspect. And it is and it always has been a symbol of the government's lack of trust in teachers. And Ofsted's increasingly taking a view about what research evidence should be relied on. And, and, and as you just said, I think it was a report back in May on the response of IT providers to the pandemic and on the quality of their curricula. And they claimed that, as you say, some IT curriculums 
not underpinned by, uh, sorry, are underpinned by outdated or discredited theories of education. Um, Now, um, somebody called Janet Downs. Janet Downs, I don't know if you've come across her. She's a prolific educational blogger. She's a retired secondary teacher. She made a freedom of information request asking Ofsted to provide details of these outdated or discredited theories and um, for any published evidence which supported their conclusion. And Ofsted said, no, they were sorry they couldn't provide the information. Uh, Frankly, I don't think that's good enough. Um, It's true a senior Ofsted official was quoted recently mentioning Bloom's taxonomy. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things they were thinking about. But, But let's be honest, you'd really expect something rather more substantial as the basis for making such a contentious statement uh, about theories. So so basically, Kayleigh, I'm not impressed. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's the attitude as well, isn't it, that Mm. gets people's backs up, is almost the, why do we need to tell you why we're (laughs) making these decisions? You know, Mm. you're only the ones who are going to have to deal with the fallout, after all. Mm. Um, So, again... Do you think, leading on from that then, do you think because of, of this emphasis that's being placed on evidence and underpinning theory, do you mm. think there's then a, sh- a shift away from the more practical getting your hands dirty, being in the classroom, learning on the job? Are we moving away from that into a more theoretical-based educating people on how to be teachers I hope we're not moving away from from that, uh, Kaylee. Um, it, it 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 is the case from from the Ofsted perspective. There's been a shift for Ofsted in in terms of how they evaluate how effective ITE programs are. A, a shift away from looking at outcomes and towards assessing how good the curriculum offered to students is. And Perhaps unsurprisingly, what that means is that IT providers are spending a lot of time developing ambitious curricula. Um, And that goes hand in hand with a role played by the core content framework in defining a minimum curriculum entitlement. Now, there is a danger there that that focus on the curriculum could result in a move away from the practical learning. But but there's clearly a place for both. As as I said earlier on, it's teacher education, not teacher training. But but it's also the case that we're we're not equipping people to be educational academics. We're equipping them to be teachers in real classroom with with real pupils. So, 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 So there needs to be the mix of theory and practice, and, and and the two have to inform each each, each other. Um, it it would be a great pity, in 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 my view, if 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 providers moved so far in the, in the direction of looking at what the what of student teachers need to learn, and away from the how to implement things effectively in the classroom so so we need both Mm. yeah great that's interesting um I hope I hope very much that it does remain a happy balance between the two because speaking from experience I don't see how it's possible to sit in a classroom and learn how to be a teacher Mm. of course there's a lot 
of theory and pedagogy that you have to become aware of but it's so much it makes so much more sense when you're actually applying it um and there was there was many occasions when I was training where I would do something or I would deliver something because I'd been you know encouraging you know try this particular technique and you 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 apply it and it and it works and and you think yeah that's that's really great I'm going to do that with with all of my classes going forward and sort of afterwards when you're thinking about it you realize that that actually fits in with the theoretical Mm -hmm. knowledge Mm -hmm. and it you certainly don't need the theory before you can practice the skills no and so much of it is if until you're standing in front of a group of students you you don't know anything about behavior management you can read Mm -hmm. book and book you know book Mm -hmm. after book paper Mm -hmm. after paper but you need to be in the room with the students don't you yeah absolutely and and you and and something I found incredibly challenging when we we were fortunate that we were able to to continue training over uh, the second lockdown, I think it was. And we Mm. had the opportunity to do online training. When you Mm. remove that face-to-face interaction, it's it's a whole other thing entirely. Uh, Absolutely. Um, And to not have that... Um, it's almost like, you know, let, let's let's te- you know, put teachers in university for three years on how to be a teacher and, and not give them any contact with students. You might as well just make them start from the beginning when they actually do get into the classroom. So here's hoping we don't go too far in, in the opposite direction. Um, so to come back to what I mentioned earlier about. Um, I'm not go- I, I don't want to say this is you know, a particular area of expertise of yours, if, if that suggests that, um, you know, that there's more to it than this but we did a lot of work on reflect on being reflective as a teacher and reflective pedagogy so how important is that as as part of both initial teacher education but also continuously as you progress throughout your career so 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 i i think it's absolutely absolutely vital kaylee um so so Professional reflection is so important. Um, so one, well, one tentative definition of reflection is offered by, by Jenny Moon, who talks about, a, she says, it's a form of mental processing applied to relatively complex or unstructured ideas for which there's not an obvious solution. And I, I like that definition. So several aspects of it relate Talk to me in terms of my experience as a teacher, reflecting on my own practice. So relatively complex or unstructured ideas for which there's not an obvious solution. That's exactly what classrooms are like. They're complex environments. The dilemmas that face us on a daily basis as teachers frequently don't have obvious solutions. If they did, then anybody could be a teacher. And that's that's not the case. So effective Professional reflection, I think, involves self-questioning. It involves being aware of our own assumptions. Hopefully it generates guidance for our practice. And importantly, it draws on research and theory. It it contrasts with with, with a tick box approach to kind of, um, you know, planning and and, and teaching, which, which encourages conformity. I think reflective practice, on the other hand, that can generate challenges to orthodox approaches. And so it can be a springboard for for creativity, for innovation. Now, 
um, I certainly don't need to tell you that there are lots of different models or frameworks for reflection. So Dewey, Cobb, Schoen, to name just a few. Uh, but lately, actually, I, I've been using a really, really simple framework, which comes from the work of um, Rolf, Freshwater and Jasper. Um, and, and, and their work was about critical reflection in nursing. And they base it on three simple questions that I really like. What? So what? And now what? So what was I trying to achieve? What actions did I take? What was the response of the learners? And um, so what? So, so what does this tell me? So what does this, so what did I base my actions on? So what other knowledge can I bring to this situation? So what could I have done to make it better? Um, and now what? So now what do I need to do in order to make things better, to improve my teaching? Now, now what broader issues need to be considered? If, if, if this to, is to be successful. So what, so what, and now what? And it's been working really well for me. When you break uh, it down I, like that, you make it sound so simple. Yeah. <laughs> we all know it's not. <laughs> True, we know, it, we, we, yeah. we know it's not. Yeah. Uh, but that, that, that's part of what we do as teachers, isn't it? Is to make yes. complicated things seem simple. We, we do, yeah. We, and, we, and we also have a habit of trying to complicate things when actually maybe we should be working <laughs> in the opposite direction. <laughs> yeah, that's true as well. And so part of this approach, of course, is about educational theory. So, so, the, so what did I base my actions on? And so what other knowledge can I bring to the situation? That's very much about theoretical perspectives. Mm. But brought back to the role of theory, and the role that universities play in equipping beginning teachers with an understanding of theory. And, and I think after decades as a teacher, I, I hope I continue to reflect. And the outcome of that reflection is still sometimes surprising to me, enabling me to see things in, a, in a, an unexpected way. Um, and if I, can, if I can take a minute to just to share <clears throat> one example. So um, I've deliberately chosen a reflection, which isn't a formal teaching situation in the classroom, although it did take place at a school. The school was in Greenland. So since I've been working part time in teacher education, I I've taken opportunities to do other things, particularly things that utilize my experience and some of my qualifications in working in the outdoors. Uh, and, and, and so it was that uh, I found myself working for several seasons recently for a friend's Arctic expeditions company in remote areas of Greenland. So on the day I'm going to tell you about, I was providing snowmobile support for an Australian adventurer called Kate Leeming, who was training for an attempt to cycle to the South Pole. Now, I, I, did, I did just say cycle to the South Pole. She is slightly crazy, actually, Kate. Oh, I was just going to say, I know you can't see this on the radio now, but my facial expression there was, <laughs> what? <laughs> did I hear that right? <laughs> yeah, so you, did, gonna... you did hear that right. Yeah. So we'd, stopped, we'd stopped at the village school in Itokotormit, now, Itokotomit is an Inuit village, which is one of the most remote settlements on Earth. And the children were fascinated by Kate and by her specially adapted polar bike. 
And they were also fascinated by a camera being used to record Kate's adventures and the way that the camera displayed what it was seeing on the cameraman's iPhone. So they're asking lots of questions in Greenlandic, which, which is an Inuit language. And, and, and through one really helpful little girl, one fantastic little girl who spoke some English, I was attempting to explain about this camera and the iPhone, you know, thinking that it, mu it must seem almost like magic to them. And partway through my explanation, you know, my best teacher explanation, mm -hmm. my English-speaking young friend interrupted me. Uh, no, 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 she says. They're just asking, is it a Wi-Fi connection or is it Bluetooth? <laughs> oh, dear. So, so cue much reflection about making assumptions about learners' prior knowledge and a whole host of cultural misconceptions. Well, I'm glad even after such a long career in education, Pete, you're still guilty of the whole making assumptions. <laughs> because, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. That, that is probably the single biggest mistake we make time and time again, isn't it? So yeah. oh, what a fantastic yeah. story. What a brilliant experience as well. I think that that sounds like a, a topic for a whole other show to discuss just yeah, that. Yeah, that, that's, that's a discussion for another day. Oh, me. fantastic. Well, I realise that you've you've um, been very generous with your time this evening um, and it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and, and it's been just so fascinating hearing your different perspectives of everything that's going on. So thank you so much. So as someone coming now coming to um, glorious retirement and hopefully time to spend even more time doing projects like, you know, biking in Greenland, maybe maybe you'll be the second person to cycle to the North Pole. Um, what would be your predictions for the future based on, you know, your experience of how these things tend to play out? Uh, we won't quote you on them <laughs> in five years time, but what, what, would, what direction do you think things are going in? Well, to, to be honest, Kayleigh, um, <laughs> I'm very reluctant to make predictions. I, I'm not sure my crystal ball is working as well as it should be. I, I think the last 18 months has shown us how the un unexpected can upset even, you know, the best laid kind of plans for the future. Absolutely. And, and better people than me have been made to look very foolish when their predictions are reviewed with the benefit of hindsight. So I, I think it was, it was Thomas Edison who on seeing cinema for the first time predicted that it would completely replace the written word within 10 years. Really? Uh, and, in, uh, and a guy called Ken Olson, who was president of the Digital Equipment Corporation back in 1977, he said, there's no reason anybody would want a computer in their home. Oh, dear. I bet he's regretting those words. <laughs> so, so I'm a bit wary, but uh, I'll, 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 I'll say this. Many years ago, when I was working for University of Cumbria, I wrote and I taught a module uh, called Classroom of the Future. And the idea behind it was to get students to look at technological innovations and evaluate which, if, if any of them, could make a significant impact on learning. And one of the things I asked those students to do, and, and this is oh, more than a decade ago, was to predict how technologies might be used in classrooms in 2020. So for much of last year, I wondered 
if many of my own students were remembering their predictions and many of their predictions were about digital video conferencing. Isn't that interesting? How that might be used. And I wondered if they were all, what they were all thinking about that in the year, you know, the year we all learned what Zoom meant. Well, maybe they were kicking themselves thinking, if only we'd done something about it back then, maybe we, back could, then. Have been, <laughs> we could have been Zoom. <laughs> I'll, I'll go on, I'll make one prediction, Kaylee. So my prediction is in 10 years' time, teachers like you will still be doing an amazing job There'll be more research informed than ever. And as a result, learning will be better than ever before. And Ofsted will be still be insisting that standards are not as high as they should be. Well, I think that's a very safe prediction, but I like it. <laughs> I, think we can, I think we can safely say that, yes, I probably will be quoting you on that in a few years' time. Uh, thank you so ever so much for your um, wisdom and expertise, Pete. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. All the very best with your retirement, whatever crazy plans you might come up with, even, even, you, if, even if your intention is simply to do nothing for a little while. I wish you all the very best with it. And thank you again for your time tonight. Oh, what a fantastic guest Pete is. I could have talked to him all night long. I think we had to um, be very careful to um, end it when we did because I just think he's just got such a, um, a wealth of experience in education and, and wider um, experience as well. I mean, anyone who spends time um, biking to the Arctic in Greenland um, within the Arctic Circle in Greenland definitely um, makes for an interesting dinner guest. So uh, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And we've had um, a couple of texts in, so we'll just catch up with that. Uh, Miss Saeed again has texted in, thank you very much, and said, we should never stop reflecting on our teaching. Nothing is static in the world of education, so we shouldn't be either. And the beauty of the job is that we never stop learning. And I absolutely agree. Um, we definitely shouldn't things change in uh, so i suppose um it's a bit of a paradox in teaching isn't it because some some things seem to change a lot and regularly but we've also got uh, you have experienced teachers who then turn around and say oh well we, we've done this before we've seen this before everything tends to come back around again and of course we often find ourselves doing things or being expected to do things which might not necessarily have um, have the best effect, but we've it's something that we've always done. So yeah, the the importance of reflection is high, isn't it? Because we we have to move with the times and and we have to make sure that we're delivering the best education possible to our students, and also never stop being students ourselves. We we've always got things to learn, haven't we? And there's always more that we can absorb and take in so yeah I, I thoroughly enjoyed talking to Pete there and I hope you enjoyed that interview as well and it actually got me thinking um after I finished talking with Pete about this idea of the the best teachers you know are the best teachers made or trained and um I was actually listening in um I was standing in the end of term assembly with uh, the year nines because uh, I have a tutor group who are in year nine and the head of year was actually talking about something similar and he was saying about his experiences of the teachers he remembers from school and he gave a, a story about his French teacher who never taught him a word of French beyond bonjour and he said it was a the French teacher was an ex-rugby player and 
he had a very boy, he, this, this particular class was very boy heavy. So he'd come in and say, bonjour, um, and then immediately start talking about a rugby game or a match that had been played at the weekend or um, one that had been on the TV. And he said, all, all we ever did was talk about rugby and sport and never, never learned a word of French. But that teacher sticks in his mind as being one of the best teachers and he always felt that he had a particular bond with this teacher and was able to talk to him about things that he wouldn't have been able to talk to other people about and I think it's just worth reflecting on sometimes being a good teacher isn't just about what you deliver in terms of teaching it's about those relationships that you create with your students and how you go about creating that and I suppose that doesn't necessarily it's not something we would necessarily want to emulate <laughs> being being um, remembered for never actually teaching the subject that you were supposed to be teaching but I suppose it's just about what makes you a good teacher and what what makes you memorable and I certainly um, can relate to that is that the, the best teachers aren't necessarily the ones who are the most knowledgeable about sorry the most knowledgeable about their subjects or the the best technically as teachers they had something about them which made them um, just just have that way with the students that everyone liked them and everyone found them relatable so it's just really worth reflecting to use that word again on um, how we actually do our jobs as teachers and we are educators not just we're not just training people training students in our subject we're educating them and as Pete said in the interview that is often a much more rounded education much more um, it, it brings in things from lots of other areas of life not just subject specialism so as we come to the last five minutes of the show, if you've got any comments on what you've heard this evening, we'd love to hear from you. The last texts, the last calls of the day, please get in touch. I hope you are planning a lovely week next week, whatever you end up doing. Unfortunately, there is a lot of um, uh, tweets coming in on Twitter saying people have had really last minute positive COVID tests and their plans have been cancelled as a result, which is really disappointing after such a, a hard, long term. So I hope whatever you end up doing, if that is you, that you still manage to enjoy your holidays and you're still able um, to have some special time, um, even even if it is on your own. But this is the, the beauty of the the world that we live in now at least we have got access to our loved ones even if we're not able to get together in person but if you have managed to avoid the dreaded positive test then i hope you all have a fantastic time and arrive back in january refreshed and ready to start again so next show um there's nobody following me this evening but in the morning 7 a.m we have tabitha mackintosh who is i'm really looking forward to this show i, I can't wait to listen in um she's reviewing the ghost of edu twitter beef past which i think is just a fantastic name altogether isn't it so all of the things that have got us riled up on twitter over the last 12 months um we talked about pen gate earlier in the show but we've had context gate we've had poetry chanting gate to name but a few so there's going to be plenty to talk about um in fact probably too much to fit into an hour and a half show so i'm really looking forward to um 
Tabitha's review of everything that's got us going in the past and it should be really interesting to listen to so again thank you so much for all of your support this is my third show now so um, I've actually had the most number of listeners this evening so thank you so much for supporting really hope you've enjoyed the show and in the new year first show back in the new year is the uh, 9th of January I think let me just check the date on that yeah Sunday the 9th of January will be my first show back in the new year I'm going to be joined by Reuben Moore who's the chief executive executive of Teach First and Tina Beddows who is the um, lead at One Cumbria delivering secondary teacher training in the Cumbria area so those two uh are going to be fantastic guests I've, I've met them before and chatted to them before and again it, it's probably going to be one of those conversations that could go on a lot longer than the time we have available on the air but I hope you'll be joining us um, pop a note in your diary to um, join us on the 9th of January to hear those two fantastic guests and again um, we're, we're spending a lot of time talking about teach training the ECF um, new teachers in, in the profession but it's something that I think is very relevant to um, all teachers, the, the profession in general. This is going to be the future of teaching, isn't it? What we're doing now, the changes that are coming in now into teacher training are going to impact the experienced teachers, the long-term teachers as well. So it, it's, it's, it's always it's a relevant conversation, I think, for everyone to have to think about how we should be training our teachers indeed as Pete said how we should be educating our teachers and I really liked his analogy of um, we, we, we're not performing seals we're not jugglers we can't just be trained in the practical skills of, of teaching and expected to be able to do the best job we can we do need to be educated in the under, underpinning theory so that we have an understanding of why we do the things that we do and why they're effective but at the same time as some of our um, texters in have have said and I agree is that there does need to be balance doesn't there there needs to be a good balance between the underpinning theory and the evidence of why we do things that we do but also classroom practice and what makes us good teachers is that face-to-face interaction with our students and we mustn't lose sight of that either Miss Saeed has left me a lovely comment great show thank you very much oh thank you very much for your for listening and thank you for your lovely feedback I really hope you've enjoyed the show this evening everyone and I look forward to seeing you in the new year thank you very much and all the very best and we'll see you next year You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.